Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast. This is where we have unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. Now today I am going to share with you a chapter from a book I wrote last year, Doctors Are Not Gods. This whole book is around the premise of taking responsibility for our own health and well-being, something that I think is pretty pertinent in uh, what's going on in today's climate. So please enjoy the chapter and next week I'll be back interviewing a person on a topic that some people feel uncomfortable about and they want society to talk more on. So love your feedback as always. Please rate, review, send me your feedback, send me ideas on new interesting people to interview or even topics that you might have in your mind. So contact me through socials or hello at wabisabiseries.com. Enjoy the episode and see you again next week. The future of healthcare. Many in the corporate sector are now realising that in order to stay relevant in the fast-paced world we live in today, there is a significant amount of continual learning required. The days of doing a degree and then perhaps one or two smaller courses in your career are over. The expectations around rebuilding your knowledge in new areas are paramount. A very talented friend of mine, Andrea Clark, has recently launched a book called Future Fit, How to Stay Relevant and Competitive in the Future of Work, which captures many of the elements we need to consider. It's a great read, and Andrea covers many topics that every one of us in the workforce needs to be thinking about to ensure we remain relevant. Being active in the corporate sector presently, and having run large organisations over the past 10 years, I've noticed the conversation around lifelong learning. Retraining and adaptability has heated up of late. There is much debate and discussion around artificial intelligence, or AI, affecting jobs in the near future. It's felt that many administration jobs, production line work, or anything that is repetitive and can be machine learnt, will be up for grabs. What will this mean for the healthcare sector, I wonder? It's a sector that appears so obviously to an outsider in need of a fundamental reinvention. What I'm particularly curious about is how AI and robotics will affect the healthcare sector at the customer service front end. There's a lot of activity already occurring in the medical technology, medtech sector, in terms of equipment, analysis, diagnosis and the like. But what's going to happen to our doctor's jobs when diagnosis and treatment plans are given automatically after a quick scan, blood test and review of our vital stats? What will this mean for our doctors, their support staff and all the infrastructure around how today's medical clinics operate? I'd suggest it's going to need a major overhaul, that's what. I can't help but feel that medical professionals need to deconstruct what they know and start looking at medical services through a human experience lens to be able to fulfil the needs of their clients in the future. Given my premise for writing this book was to encourage you to take more control and responsibility for your own health and well-being, it's ironic that in the future we may well give over even more control as RoboDoc takes over our hospitals and clinics. Doctors remaining relevant. The advancements in the healthcare sector, especially in medtech, are enormous, including numerous devices that simplify the prevention, diagnosis and treatment of diseases. 
the global medtech industry is now worth over 430 billion US dollars. The question some are asking is whether AI will present a threat or an opportunity for GPs. I see it as a massive opportunity to provide far better treatment, care and attention in the entire healthcare sector for patients. But that's the view of a person who has been continually let down by the current system. I come back to the point I made at the start. Doctors are only human and, naturally, can and will make mistakes like you and I no doubt also do in our jobs on a regular basis. The difference, of course, is that if or when a doctor makes a mistake, it literally can be a case of life or death. The way I see it, if machines can assist medical practitioners to be able to do their jobs better, faster and more accurately, then wouldn't we all want that to occur? In simpler terms, I feel the future of the healthcare industry needs to be mapped through a customer journey framework. Bots may increase the processing time of patients, but they will lack the all-important emotional intelligence factor. Sure, they're likely going to be able to diagnose us better and faster and provide a pretty accurate treatment plan, but who's going to talk it through with us, discuss the options and support us when needed? What if we have questions or concerns? Who will we go to for reassurance when making the right decision on our course of action? This is where I see our medical professionals playing a different but vital part in our healthcare in future. Where is it heading? Some are calling AI the gatekeeper of the future in healthcare. Taking Dr Google to a whole other level, it will soon be even more common to ask, Alexa, what are the early signs of a stroke? From a variety of articles I've read in this area, it appears the trials that have occurred using AI or bots to pre-screen patients have not gone as well as they first hoped. The technology is improving the basics, and there is no doubt that they will be coming to a medical clinic near you very soon. It's just in what form that will take, which is still uncertain. It's felt the evidence in support of medical algorithms and AI is still lacking. The risk of misdiagnosis and giving potentially unsafe advice is making those who can bring change nervous. I can't help but see a parallel to driverless cars here. One person is injured, all hell breaks loose, and there's a call to shut down the project. And yet, according to the World Health Organization, over 3,700 people die every day in road accidents around the world. Tens of millions more are injured by human-driven cars, and people don't accept that radical change is required. From my observation, where an industry appears overworked to dangerous levels, and its professionals have a potentially unrealistic amount of pressure on them to continually learn and stay abreast of the latest developments in new treatments, changes in legislation and advances in medication, it just seems unsustainable for them to keep up. I imagine this will only get worse. Potentially, instead of large-scale change, AI may initially be channelled into specific areas and tasks. Radiology is one area that is likely to become automated. The AI training on large data sets that is already occurring has shown that bots can now interpret some medical images as well as human radiologists. This enables the human radiologists to focus more on the solutions for the patient as opposed to spending all their time scrolling through images. 
In other examples, Stanford researchers have programmed an AI tool that can diagnose skin cancers just as well as dermatologists. And Google has also been using AI tools to diagnose diabetes-related eye disease in India with promising results. The safety of your medical data. We all need to be far more proactive, not reactive, about our own healthcare. And there's no doubt we will continue to have better tools to enable us to do this. One way we can do this more effectively today, and this will only continue to develop, is through apps and technology. I'd guess that many of you are wearing a device right now that is tracking various health markers as you sit here and listen to this. Next generation wearable health tracking devices are already being developed with AI diagnostic capabilities to provide data to both the wearers and their healthcare professionals. Wellness brands are increasingly becoming a part of healthcare conversations, and it's these wearable devices tracking our sleep and fitness that are already blurring the lines in the traditional doctor-patient relationship. The rise in business coaches and professional mentors has been incremental over the past few years. Is it a case where it will be the norm to have a health coach in the not-too-distant future as well? Having a dedicated health consultant that captures all your current health markers, as well as historical medical treatments and hereditary factors in one portal, is not far away. Combining our daily personal data captured through wearables, as well as analysing what we eat, how much we exercise and how stressed we currently are, could enable our health coach to provide far more personalised and hopefully more effective treatment and healthcare plans. There are actually companies that are playing in this space and are no longer in the testing phase. Some are subscription-based services that are designed to provide high-quality healthcare tailored to each individual by combining medical and lifestyle data fed into machine learning platforms in order to build a picture of each person's health profile. These programs will no doubt be instrumental in preventative health management. In addition, for those in recovery, monitoring patients remotely through wearable tech once they return home from hospital may not be far away. While this could be more accurate and save millions in healthcare fees and readmissions, I do wonder about the issue of privacy when every single one of our bodily functions is monitored to within an inch of our lives. Who controls that data? and who has access to it may become an area of huge debate in the near future. When health insurance companies and potential employers are able to gain access to incredibly personal and private information to make decisions on how much they'll charge you on premiums or decide whether you're a healthy enough potential employee, we may feel differently on wearing these cool, convenient tracking devices all day, every day. There was so much public uproar here in Australia recently about the government portal My Health Record amid widespread concerns about privacy and security. The system is designed to allow information about patients to be shared between health providers, which, if it worked effectively, could be an amazing tool allowing continuity and better care. Two and a half million Australians opted out of the system, but it was revealed in Senate estimates that 23.2 million are in fact signed up to the system that cost us all 1.5 billion Australian dollars to implement. I had a fascinating discussion with a friend of mine about all this recently. She works indirectly in the health industry 
but describes her experience as a consumer of services. She talks about being an advocate for My Health Record and what it stands for, a cloud-based blockchain system that holds all of our relevant information in one point and can be accessed with our permission. I'm thinking of it in terms of workflows, funding, costs. Currently, there are just so many inefficiencies. Information doesn't flow. There are so many blocks in the healthcare sector. We also discussed how, for anyone who has chronic health conditions, an effective system would ensure fewer mistakes and less duplication if it followed you from one medical practitioner to the next. What medications you've had, how long you've been on them, what treatments you've had to date, etc. Over the years, with all the variety of medical procedures I've had done, I'm often asked about something that happened to me over 10 years ago, and I feel stupid that I can't recall the exact name of the operation or the medication I had to take. I appreciate that there have been hiccups with the rollout of this new system, but what I find more interesting is that people give incredibly private information away to so many organisations every day that they don't even think about. Many of these companies don't have sophisticated and secure systems. Have you thought about what happens at present when you go to see your GP and they type into their machine that's sitting on a private server in the corner of their office? I'd suggest that's way more vulnerable. We don't think about it in our everyday lives. When you give your DNA to someone, anyone, those ancestry sites, for example, or when a cyst is removed from your body, then who owns that DNA? Think about that for a second. We all become hugely concerned with our privacy, but only when someone tells us about it. We trust these now extremely powerful companies, Google, Facebook, etc., with our private and personal data, but we don't trust our government. The irony is that the government is probably subjected to far more checks and balances than any multi-jurisdictional conglomerate that is moving at such a pace, developmentally and experimentally, that it's likely they are policing themselves on things like ethics and privacy. Many governments are flat out playing catch-up. Given the nervousness people have around social media data privacy and the uproar, rightly so, that occurred around the Cambridge Analytica fiasco, I do wonder how safe our growing amounts of health and medical records will be in the future. At the time of writing, Google has just put in a bid to acquire Fitbit for 2.1 billion US dollars. Pending approval, the sale is expected to close in 2020. I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling okay about Fitbit holding my data, but far from comfortable with Google having even more personal information on me at their disposal. Time will tell, but it will be prudent to check your privacy settings and ensure you're comfortable with who you're giving what health information to in future and how this can impact you in ways you may not have anticipated.